one of these days, one of these days the birthdays are going to stop. And the folks at Aderhold are going to wheel me through those doors and I'm going to be in a box with a Dr. Pepper tie on. I make light of it because it kind of helps us deal with the reality that that is true of all of us. The psalmist prayed, teach us to number our days. Help us, God, to realize our own mortality. Help us to understand that time in this body, on this realm, on this planet, is limited. Because when we understand that, we begin to evaluate that time that we have. Since it's limited, we want to make the most of it. Matter of fact, I hope that on that day when I'm in that box, that the impact that I have on this world does not end in that box. I hope, I pray, that the time I have here with you, with my family, with this community, that the time that I have here makes such a difference that even after that time is up, my influence might continue in some positive way. Isn't that what we all hope for? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to outlive life? We're talking about that through the month of September and maybe beyond, but living a life that outlives me. Last week we talked about the kind of people who live that kind of life, that outlives them. And this morning, I want us to follow up on, uh, on that thought, the kind of people we found in Acts chapter 1. Today, I want to follow up on that and talk about beginning to outlive your life. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Our series is actually walking us through the book of Acts because the book of Acts tells the story of some amazing people who outlived their lives. Some amazing people who, while they were amazing, were also very ordinary. And that's where the, the power of the story is. That these were not special people. They were not, they were not specially prepared. They, they were not specially educated. That God did not create something extraordinary in them. He used normal, everyday folks. They had dirty hands, and they smelled bad sometimes, and they made mistakes, and they hurt each other. They were regular folks. They wrestled with pride. They fought and argued over who was more important. They were normal people just like us, and yet God used them not only to establish his church, but according to Scripture, to turn the world upside down. And today, we still experience the influence of their lives. 
And so we want to walk through the book of Acts that tells the story of how the Holy Spirit moved in the lives of those people. I want us to start today in the second chapter. We're going to start at verse 5, and then we'll camp out when we get to verse 12 for a little bit. But I want us to start at verse 5. As we, as we pick up the story, it says that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now notice that, that they, they were Jews from all over the place. Passover was, um, had, had happened a little over a month earlier, whatever, and, and now we're at Pentecost. And, and Pentecost was one of those holidays that drew people together, drew the, the, the Jewish Hebrew people together. And so there are people here in Jerusalem, but they've come from all over the place. Not only for, not only for uh, Pentecost, but also just because of the nature of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has become a hub. It's become a, 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 a metroplex almost. It's even got little suburbs all around it. And people are coming from all over to do business here and they live here. So the important part of verse 5 is to understand that while they were in one place, they were from many places. And at the sound, the multitude came together. What sound is that? Well, in the first four verses that we didn't take time to read, uh, you'll remember we looked at it on Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit showed up and there were tongues of fire over their heads and there was the sound of a great, mighty, rushing wind. The multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now this, the, the speaking in tongues that took place on Pentecost was not a, a heavenly language that no one here understood. They were speaking in the languages that existed on the earth at that time. So all these people who had come from all over, they heard these Galileans speaking in their native tongues. And that was amazing because these Galileans were, were just normal everyday folks with no real education. They couldn't have learned this. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. And that list is starting to bore us, isn't it? And that's kind of the point. The list is long. So many different places representing so many different areas of the world. And they all now hear something being said in their language. Well, what is there that might be that important that it would be, that it would be translated immediately by the power of the Holy Spirit? Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and, Arabian, and, and Arabians, were hearing them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Something had changed so dramatically that now they were hearing in their tongue about the mighty works of God. Now, if you go back all the way back to 
to Genesis, you find a story of the time that men got together and these men said, you know, we're so great, we're going to build a tower to heaven. And as we build this tower, it's going to remind everybody of just how great we are. And God said, let's see how great you are. And he split them up by languages and they all started speaking different tongues and now they didn't understand, therefore they couldn't coordinate their efforts and he, he separated men by the different languages. Well, now something's changing. Now as people, they've gone through hundreds of years, thousands perhaps, they've been separated by these languages. Now God comes and he changes things. Now, he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll understand one another again. But notice what, is, what the message is. At the Tower of Babel, when the message was, look how great we are, God disrupted it. But when the message by the power of the Holy Spirit is about the mighty works of God, then God enables understanding. And all of a sudden, he is beginning to re unite the world bringing the world again to himself verse 12 all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean and that's where i want us to hang just for a minute we're talking about beginning to outlive your life if we're going to do that, it starts here. You have to ask the right questions. If we're going to begin to outlive our lives, we have to first begin by learning to ask the right questions. And what are those questions? Well, the first one, according to verse 12, is what does this mean? When we begin to look at the mighty acts of God and we say within ourselves, what does this mean? What is God doing? We are putting ourselves in a position to more fully understand Him and to more fully accomplish His will for our lives and to outlive this life. What is God up to? What does this mean? Something is happening in my life and I need to pay attention to it because God is up to something. I want to know what it's all about. We begin by asking the right questions. What does this mean? Followed very quickly by, what should I do? Here, these guys here, the... the disciples speaking in all these different languages and it captures their attention and they say what does this mean tell us more we want to learn what God is doing something's happening and we want to be a part of it explain to us what's going on and so Peter stands up it says he stands up with the other 11 I think that's significant to say that they were together in their presentation they had one another's backs if you will but the disciples stood together and Peter began to explain to them, beginning in the Old Testament, how God had prepared the, the nation of Israel and how he finally sent Jesus. And then he looks at those Jews, that nation of Israel, and he says, God promised you a Messiah and he sent you the Messiah and then you killed him. 
And we pick up the story at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We're going to begin to live a life that outlives us. We start by asking the right questions. What does this mean? What is God doing? And then, what do I do in response? That was their question. This is amazing, Peter. The story that you've told, we understand now from uh, all the way back from the prophet Joel, and we understand the role of David, and now we understand Messiah, and we see what happened on the cross. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. For every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that takes us to the second thing that we want to consider. We begin to outlive our lives when we ask the right questions and when we take the right steps. You're going to begin to outlive your life you ask the right questions. God, what are you doing? And what should I do in response? And then you take the right steps. Peter told them what to do next. They asked the question, what shall we do? And he said to them in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. By the way, that's us. All who are far off was referring not only to geographical issues that we were a long way from them, not only time, we're a long way from them in time, but he was also referring to people who were not Hebrews, those who were not Jews. He's saying even the Gentiles who are afar off, even they will be included. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We take the right steps. And he told us what those were. First, he said, repent. Now, I know he says repent and be baptized. Don't think of that as two different things. That's not two steps. It's really one. It, 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 for them, baptism was not something that we put on the calendar and we plan later and we think about for a while and, and we eventually get to and all that like we do it. For them, baptism was an immediate response of repentance. Understand, baptism existed before the church was established. Jews got baptized before Jesus. It wasn't a Christian thing only. It existed before Jesus came. It was a way to show, I've changed. And so when he says to repent and get baptized, he's not saying take two different steps. It's one thing, get, repent. There was no question that they would then get baptized. You know, we usually don't say, um, 
I'm going to go to two amigos and have dinner. We usually just say, we're going to two amigos. All right, then we know you're going to eat when you get there. It's obvious. You're not going to think of it in two different, two different things. I'm going to go to two amigos, and since I'm there anyway, I guess I'll go ahead and maybe eat. Oh, there's no point in going if you're not going to. It's, it's two things, but it's really one experience. That's the same as it was for them. Repent and get baptized is one thing. And so the idea here is that, that he says, what's, the, uh, what's the, the right step to take? You're going to repent. Repent means to turn around. This morning I want us to think of God himself being here. There's no way to appropriately represent God. And so we'll not try to represent God in a physical form, but think of this as his throne, perhaps. Just imagine, if you will, God is here. In God's plan, we were going to be close to him all the time. When God created Adam and Eve, they walked through the garden all the time. They were close. But then, man sinned. We chose to do things our way. And because of that, God said, okay, now we can't be next to each other anymore. And he cast them out of the garden. And from that day till this, people have failed God. We have stayed down in our lower realm of sin. God is higher than us, and we are separated from Him. We've stayed in our lower realm of sin. Matter of fact, at first, we're all walking away from Him. Not only are we in our sin, but we're walking away from Him. We're doing our own thing. And Peter says, if you want to live a life that outlives you, it starts when you repent. Repent means to turn around. It means I'm going to leave my old life behind and I'm going to move back toward God. If we're going to outlive life, we have to take the right steps and that begins with repent and be baptized. Begins with repentance. Turn away from who you've always been. Turn away from that life of selfish sin and point yourself back toward God. But you and I both know that even that isn't completely enough because you and I cannot save ourselves we cannot work our way back up to the throne. Something else needs to happen. That is the second step. Take the right steps. Repent and be reconciled. Be reconciled. If you've got your copy of Scripture with you, I want to invite your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want us to start at verse 18. We're in 2 Corinthians now at chapter 5. And I want to show you something here that I think will help 
clarify all of this for us a little bit. Beginning to outlive your life, you ask the right questions. What does this mean and what should I do about it? You take the right steps. Repent and be reconciled. Start it at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at 18. All this is from God. Well, what is this? Well, the previous verse, he just said that when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away and all has become new. All of this, in verse 18, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Robert, would you come up here and help me for just a minute? In, in 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What does that mean? that he reconciled us to himself. Well, we would never try to represent God in a physical form, so we've said this is his throne, symbolically. Nor would we try to represent Christ in a physical form, but Robert's going to remind us of Jesus. And it says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ. What that means is the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, still down here, while we were yet sinners, God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, He redeemed us. Christ died for us. Even though we didn't deserve it, Christ died on the cross. Put your hands out. I like the cross. Good. Christ died on the cross. We're still down here. You can't work your way up there. But God loves us so much that even though we're down here, He provided a means to pay for the sin that is holding us back. And then it says, that he loved us so much that he sent his son. For God so loved the world down there that he gave us his only begotten son. Now would you stand right here on the stairs, keep your arms like that, and turn sideways. Perfect. God gave us his son. God the son left the throne of glory and took on humanity. When he did that, what he did was form a bridge from us sinners back to the throne of glory. God is reconciling us to himself. Now, now what we learn is we think we can figure this out. 
I'm going to go to church enough that I'm going to get there. I'm going to pray enough that I'm going to get there. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do more good than I do bad, and I'm going to get there. But the Bible reminds us that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God is reconciling us to himself. Christ in the middle, being the bridge to bring us home. How then do it? You're okay, just stay right there. How then do I begin to live a life that outlives me? I'm going to ask the right questions. God, what are you doing? Don't let me miss it. What should I do? I'm going to take the right steps. I'm going to repent and I'm going to be reconciled. Here again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I was lost in my sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're here. We're not there. But he loved us enough to find a way. He paid the penalty. And now Jesus reconciles us to himself. But did you notice there's another part of that, that passage? You're doing great, by the way. There's another part of that passage. When we look still in that 2 Corinthians 5 passage, that takes us to the third thing that we have to do if we're going to outlive our lives. Ask the right questions. Take the right steps. Tell the right story. Because did you notice there in 2 Corinthians 5 when it said we now have the ministry of reconciliation. We get to tell the story. It says we are ambassadors for Christ. He is standing in the middle, ready to reconcile people to God. And we get to be the ambassadors. We get to tell the story. And here's what it looks like. Rusty, you're my buddy. Would you come let me talk to you for a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're my buddy. Because you're my buddy, I want you to meet the person that's the most important to me. And I want to tell you why he's the most important to me. Because I found out that I wasn't close to God like I could be. And when I came to know Jesus, he brought me back into fellowship with God. And I want you to get to know him too. This is my Jesus. Would you meet him? And the ministry of reconciliation. God does it all. From the throne of glory, He sent His Son. Jesus makes it happen. But we get to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. We're the ambassadors. We get to say, this is where you find Him. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. You did so good. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. It's the best workout He's had all week. That's all. You see the power? I believe that reconciliation is actually the major theme of the entire Bible. 
in the beginning, man is separated from God. God then gives him a law. Since we can't be close to each other, here's a law that will at least tell you how to behave and try to take care of each other. And by the way, one of the, point, one of the reasons you have the law is to prove that you can't do this on your own. Now, once you learn that you can't do this on your own, now I'm going to send you a Messiah who's going to provide a way. And once you come to know that Messiah, you can be reconciled then to God the Father. And you go to the end of the book in, in Revelation, and how does the story end? The story ends that we are with Him again. The whole story, Genesis to Revelation, is about reconciliation. And the power of it is that we're the storytellers. We're the ones that get to proclaim how all that works. We can't do it. He's done it all. But we get to tell the story. Beginning to outlive your life. It starts when you ask the right questions. God, what do you want to do in my life and what should I do about that? When you take the right steps, repent, and be reconciled. Accept the reconciliation that's been paid for you. And then, tell the right story. Because when we get to tell the story of Jesus and his love, then one of these days when we're in that box, the story keeps going because there are people who know Jesus who might not have known him had we not spoken up had we not shared our best friend with our buddies.